Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Well, if you have your copy of God's Word this morning, if you'll turn to the book of Matthew chapter 21. Book of Matthew chapter 21. And, uh, of course, on this Palm Sunday, uh, I'm going to preach on Palm Sunday. And uh, what Palm Sunday means. And, uh, you know, it's days like this and, and Easter and, and Mother's Day and Father's Day uh, sometimes are difficult for pastors because finding the right words and the right, the right sermon and, and to encourage people in days like this because you, you, want, you want to use these moments as opportunities for the Lord to speak to us about these truths that are in the Word of God. But they're hard days to prepare for. But I believe this this morning. I believe God has a word for you this morning. And I'm going to encourage you in his word this morning. Matthew chapter 21. And uh, here in Matthew chapter 21, of course, is the uh, triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to read a few verses of scripture and then I'm going to get right into uh, the message this morning. Beginning in verse 1. Now when Jesus drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately... We'll, we'll send, we will send them. All, all this was done that, that it might be fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, a fowl of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes and laid their clothes on them, and he sat and sat him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes along the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? Verse 11, So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. You know, uh, there are only eight events that are mentioned in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there's only eight, eight events that are mentioned in all four Gospels. And Jesus' triumphal entry is one of them, uh, one of the eight that is mentioned. And Palm Sunday is, is one of them that is mentioned. And uh, this is the first day of the last week of Jesus' life in this story. And so we set the stage for um, this, this event sets the stage to what is going to happen on Easter Sunday, on Good Friday and Easter. And so, in order this morning to help me communicate uh, this passage of Scripture to you, I'm going to do something um, that I haven't done in a long time, and I can't remember the last time I did, but I'm going to use an acronym this morning to help, help communicate uh, Palm Sunday to you this morning. And, um, 
And so you may want to write it in your Bible or your notes that are in your bulletin so that you can remember the significance of Palm Sunday. What does Palm Sunday really mean? What does it really mean? What kind of influence or what kind of meaning does it have for our lives this morning? And so I want to use the acronym PALM this morning, P-A-L-M. I want to use that acronym this morning. And, uh, but let me first give you the context of what is happening. Jerusalem uh, is the capital city of the nation of Israel, as you know. In the, in the city of Jerusalem, there is the temple um, in, the, in the midst of the city. And uh, uh, it is the heart of the city. It is the heart of the nation. The temple is the heart of the nation. And it has captured the heart of the people. And matter of fact, at this instant, uh, the city of Jerusalem, of course, uh, had been conquered by Rome. Rome is ruling. Um, they have been ruling for almost 100 years. Um, and, and they occupy Israel. So in the midst of all of this, there's this animosity uh, towards Rome and vice versa. There's this tension is really high. It's the feast season. And it is uh, in the midst of this feast season. It's the 10th day of a particular month. Some scholars believe that if you had to give a date to this day, that it was March 29th, 33 AD, which was 1988 years ago. How many know that's a long time ago? And, and every Jewish male was to come to celebrate Passover. Um, and it was the most important week on the Jewish calendar. Thousands of people gathered in the city. Matter of fact, the city's population was probably 10 times what it normally would be. And so the city is electric. And Jesus recently, uh, less than a week earlier, had risen Lazarus from the dead. And news is spreading like wildfire. And uh, is this the Messiah who is to come to deliver us from the Romans? And there's this buzz and there's this excitement. And so I want to talk a little. That's the context of which we're in this morning. And we read the passage of Jesus entering into the city of Jerusalem. But I, I want to give you a, a couple of points in this acronym this morning to help, to help communicate what does this mean. What did it mean, Jesus entering into the city? What was this Palm Sunday? What did it really mean? Number one, I want to use P, the first acronym of the word palm, and it represents, number one, the promises of God fulfilled. Promises of God fulfilled. In other words, Jesus sent his disciples for a specific ride for him into the city, a donkey that was tied up with a colt, and no one had written it. And, uh, and the Lord said, if anyone asks, say the Lord has need of it. I wish I could go into a grocery store and just get what I want and just say, the Lord has need of it, and just take it home. And, uh, but Jesus did this. Why did he do that? He did this to fulfill uh, something prophesied 500 years earlier. Jesus was fulfilling a promise that was given 500 years earlier. If you look in verse 4, it's interesting. It said, all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of by the prophet saying that these, that these orders that Jesus had given was to fulfill the promise that was given over 500 years ago. The word fulfilled there 
means to be to deliver a complete message and it means to explain something fully. It means to explain something fully. In other words, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of by the prophet. In other words, so that the promise may be fully communicated, that the complete message might completely be heard. And so God gives a promise of, of, of this, and, and, and it comes true, and it doesn't, and it doesn't come true um, because it's not just coming true, but it's communicating truth this morning. So every prophecy of Jesus is also a revelation about Jesus. It's not just the prophecy of him, but it's a revelation of him. And what does this reveal to us about Jesus? Zacharias said it like this. See, he prophesied and said, behold, your king is coming. In other words, what does it say? It says two things. One, it says that Jesus is a king. How many know Jesus is a king this morning? And as he rides into Jerusalem, he's in control, he's sovereign, and he has absolute authority as he come in on that donkey. That prophecy of him coming in, Zechariah's prophecy of, 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 behold, your king is coming, this is the fulfillment of that. It's communicating the fact that Jesus as our king is entering the city. Secondly, it's a picture of him coming to his people. God with us. It was the way he comes in showing his humility. Coming in on a donkey and not a stallion. He comes in riding the donkey, showing his humility. Not coming to dominate, but coming to die. Not coming to dominate, but coming to die. It's a fulfillment of the prophecies of 500 years earlier. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, and Sharon had quoted it earlier, all, all the promises of God are yes and amen. How many are thankful that the promises of God are yes and amen? This picture of Jesus riding in on a donkey and his promises of God being fulfilled is, is interesting because when you begin to look at this, Jesus' disciples, during the week before the cross, Jesus, uh, he does a lot of things. One of the things is he spends time with his disciples. And in the book of John chapter 14, if you'll turn there, I want to show you something this morning. Jesus' disciples, of course, are trying to wrap around their brains all that is happening. Jesus is telling them that they're going to go. He's going to the cross. He is going to die. He has to go away. But if he goes away, he will come back again to them. They're asking, well, where is this that you're going? And he's told them several times that he had to die and go away. They must have been texting during that sermon, I guess. But he comes here in John chapter uh, nine or 14 in John chapter 14 and beginning in verse 19 through 24 he begins to give them promises to them that brings a comfort to their soul now I don't know if you know many of you have raised children and and you know sometimes our children get scared at night or whatever and we have to go in and be with them and coax them and and be a comfort to them you know, that's what Jesus is doing. He's comforting his disciples. You know, my one daughter, uh, 
she, she always wanted to hash out all of life's problems when it was bedtime. And she, she would be so tired, she would cry, and she'd want to talk about uh, all the ailments of her day. And, and she wanted to ask questions, and she wanted to, you know, so at night she'd be crying, and we're trying to put her to bed, and, and she'd be saying, oh, what about this, and what about this, and, and, and she'd always say, when we said, well, we'll do this or do that, she'll say, well, do you promise, right? <laughs> Do you promise? And of course, we wanted to go to sleep, so we're like, yeah, we promise. But how many know you promise a kid something, they're going to remember that promise. They don't ever forget. And what's, that's what's happening here. The disciples are in this place of confusion, and they're trying to figure out what is happening, and Jesus is somewhat comforting them here. And if you will begin to look, you'll see something. I want you to see a couple of promises, beginning in verse 19. He says this, he says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. What is he saying? Jesus is saying, a little while longer, I won't be in the world. The world won't see me, but because you are with me, you will see me again. You will see me in my resurrected state. You will see me again. And because I live, you will live also. In other words, what Jesus is doing He's promising a resurrection. It's a double resurrection. It's that Jesus is saying, hey, you're going to see me again. And because I live, you'll live also. He's comforting them with this promise of his resurrection. I live so you will live. And, and really, it is a, what he's saying is, is that you're not only just going to live, but you're going to have resurrection life that's going to be in you. How many are thankful for the resurrection life that lives in you this morning? We're thankful for the resurrection life. And then in verse 20, he gives them a second promise. And this is a, a, a the second promise is this. He says, all that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. In other words, what Jesus has said, not only is he promising them that they're going to have resurrection life in them, but he's also promising, you're, you're not only going to have resurrection life, but you're going to know that I'm divine. You're going to know that I am as divine and that I am as divine as the Father. And he said, not only will you have a knowledge of that, I will also be in you and you in me. I will live in you. And it is the promise of his divinity. In other words, it's the assurity of the knowledge of him. It's the surety that he lives and that he is true this morning. If anything I know this morning, I know Jesus lives this morning. You know how I know? Because he lives inside of me. And that resurrection life is in me. Resurrection life is in my life. He, he allows me to understand truth that I never would have understood had I not come to the knowledge of Christ. He allows that resurrection life to live for me, in me. I know he's divine. I know he's God's son. I know there's none other that is like him. He is God's son. And I don't have to be convinced of it because he lives on the inside of my life. In verse 21, we see the third promise he's given. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will, I will love him and manifest myself to him. 
In other words, what is God promising? He's promising them not only are they going to have resurrection life on the inside of them, not only are they going to know that he's divine, but he says this, his promise to them is this, you, uh, I am going to show myself to you. In other words, when you do your works of faith I'm, and you keep my commandments and you love me, I'm going to show up and you will know that I'm with you because I will be in the midst of everything you do. He said, I will, I will love him and manifest myself to you. How many know God will manifest himself in our life if we, if we are obedient to him and if we love him, he will show up in the midst of our lives. I don't know about you, but there's been many times I've needed Jesus to show up in the midst of my life. And he's manifested himself in the midst of my life. I mean, these are the promises he is giving to the disciples. He is comforting them. He said, you're going to know that I'm the son of God because there's going to be something on the inside of you that is life that the world does not know nothing of. You're going to hear truth and understand truth. I'm going to reveal truth to you. That is my promise. And I'm going to manifest myself wherever you are and wherever you walk by faith. And then in verse 24 is the final promise. It says, and he who does not love, he does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. In other words, Jesus is saying this in verse 24. He's saying that not only are you going to know I'm divine, not only are you going to have resurrection life, not only are you going to see me manifest myself in your life, but you're also going to know my presence in the middle of your life. Through the Holy Spirit, you're going to know that I'm with you. You're going to know my presence. And so there's this promise that is fulfilled. When Jesus promised something, it's going, it's going to come true because he's just, he just doesn't tell the truth. He is the truth this morning. He just doesn't tell the truth. He is the truth this morning. That's why this morning when we sang that song, that hit me deep. Because prophecy and promises for us as believers, we have promises that are for us this morning. And if you have a promise, if you have a prophecy or a word this morning, I'm here to tell you Jesus is the truth. It's not that it's just true. It is he is the truth in our life. And he will be with. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life this morning. And sometimes... What we need is a promise to cling to with God in the midst of struggle or difficulty. Sometimes it's a promise that keeps us going, that tells us we're going to be okay. We're going to make it. We're going to get through it. We're going to make through it. And there is a promise in God's word um, for our biggest concerns this morning. I don't know what your concern is this morning, but whatever your biggest concern is this morning, I'm here to tell you there is a promise for it, and God's got it. All things work together for good to them who love God and are called according to his purpose. Amen? Amen. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Romans 8, 31, for if God is for us, who can be against us? 
Who can resist God when he's working on our behalf this morning? And so this morning, P is for the promises of God fulfilled. There are promises. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is the fulfillment of prophecy. It's the fulfillment of the promises of God that are coming true. And anybody that knew the scripture and saw Jesus coming in, they had a revelation of what was happening. He was a king that was coming. And he wasn't to set up a kingdom to fight. He was coming in to die for the sins of the world. He was a king that was coming. Number two, the letter A, the arrival of the king. Now Jesus is arriving into Jerusalem. He's coming into the north gate, the side of the city. He, he comes up the hill. And, uh, and as, he would, as he was entering and he would have coming into the city, as he came up over the hill there, he would have saw loads of people there by the entrance. Many of them camping out and probably uh, makeshift tents and, and, and makeshift uh, uh, shelters that were there. And as he came, as he was coming, hundreds would join him as he come up the hill. Matthew says that as he came into the city, the whole city was moved by his appearance and by his coming. There was this massive parade that was entering into the city of Jerusalem. And I, I thought to myself, they were laying their coats at his feet and palm branches at his feet. And I thought to myself, you know, we, we live in a celebrity culture and I would have thought after that donkey would have trampled over somebody's coat, they would have pulled it up and they would have taken it home and they would put it away in a safe and said, this is the coat which Jesus came in on and stomped on. And it would have been some type of relic that they could have kept for years. But Jesus is coming into the city. But here's what's interesting. I was reading this week a theologian by the name of Marcus Borg and John Dominique. They wrote a book and they wrote a paper and the book is called The Last Week. It's the last week of Jesus. And they, they said something about church history that I did not even know before. I'm going to share it with you this morning. That the same time that Jesus was entering the city of Jerusalem, when he was coming in one gate, the exact same time, there was another ruler who was coming in at another gate. At the same time, Jesus arrived, was, was in direct contrast to an arrival of another ruler that was coming in at the same time. And as Jesus was coming in one side of the city, Pontius Pilate was entering on the other side of the city. Him and his entourage, and if you knew how kings came into the city, they came in with entourages and and horses and soldiers and a great display. People would run to get a picture of royalty as they would come in. They said that, that at the same time Jesus was entering the city, so was Pilate entering the city also on a white stallion with his entourage, his officers, his cupbearers, and all those that were with him. People lined the streets. People would line the streets when Rome would come to town. And Pilate, uh, you know, is an extension of Caesar. And so he was the face of Rome. And as he would come in, the people would cheer. And people would also throw their cloaks on the ground as they would enter in. 
But it's interesting as you look at this and think of this, I, I thought to myself, what a contrast of worlds. What a contrast of worlds. Jesus is not on a war horse, but he's on an untested donkey, a beast of burden. Now, I don't know if you've ever ridden a donkey or not. I have. I, I played donkey basketball one time for, as a fundraiser, and I got the, the most stubborn, messed up mule there was. He needed counseling, and he needed a whooping too. I don't know how many times I got thrown off of that, of that creature, and that's not real good on a gym floor when you're trying to play donkey basketball and you're trying to ride a donkey. They're not the most, they're not the most cooperative animals that, that there are. One side of the city, there's a caravan. On this side of the city, there's a carpool. It's Jesus and some fishermen and some women. And, and they're entering the city. And all of a sudden, the celebration shifts from Pilate to Jesus. Yeah, I've often wondered how that must have made Pilate feel. Pilate seeing and hearing more of the more robust welcome of Jesus. And what it is, it's a picture of two realms of, the, of our world. Completely different. Two ideologies. There are two kingdoms that are being contrasted here. He's contrasting God's kingdom with the kingdom of this world. The other gate, this Jesus is here. He's entering. They've heard stories about him. He teaches with insight, with more insight than scholars. He touches and heals the sick and the crippled. Today, the parade that we choose to be a part of is important this morning. What parade have you attended this morning? Are you attending this morning? Are you at the parade of Jesus entering into the city and celebrating the coming of a king? Are you with those that are welcoming Pilate, which is a contrast to the world? It's a picture of the, the world being played out as Pilate comes into the city. See, Jesus is clear when he comes into our lives. There's a clear contrast of his kingdom and the kingdom of this world. There are two kingdoms that they're at war in our life. You know there are two kingdoms that war in our spirit. There's the kingdom of this world and then there's the kingdom of God. And it wars at every area of our life. Sometimes it wars in the area of our finances. Do we trust the kingdom and the promises of God or do we trust this world and its system? Sometimes it's challenging in the war of our schedule and our time with Jesus and who we're going to worship. How much are we going to give our lives to Jesus? How much are we going to give him? Sometimes it's in the realm of our relationships in our, and who, who, uh, Whose possession are you in this morning? Stop and ask, what possession are you a part of this morning? Even the religious leaders were compromising to Rome. The clear distinction in the way we live, 
our lives to the rest of the world. We can't claim Jesus as king and reject his kingdom this morning. So there's P for the promises fulfilled. There's A for the arrival of the king. The third this morning is is L for the Lamb of God set apart. The timing of Jesus' arrival in Jerusalem is not random. It's the week before Passover. We know that it's the 10th day of the month, five days before Passover. Israel was given an instruction five days before Passover in the law. Five days before Passover, they had the instruction that every family was to select a lamb to be sacrificed. Every family was to select a lamb to be sacrificed. They were to select that lamb. They were to take that lamb and put it in their home for five days to live in their quarters, to live among their family. It was a lamb that was to be spotted and inspected. And so Jesus purposely came in to Jerusalem. He came in on this holy day, this Palm Sunday, before Passover, the very day that every family was to select a lamb, the ultimate Passover lamb. How many know Jesus is our Passover lamb? 1 Corinthians 5.17 says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. The imagery of it is the Lamb of God being set apart. He was the Lamb of God coming in the city to show the Jews He is the Passover Lamb. He was the one that was selected to die for all of man's sins. And we see that the significance, this all began back when Moses was confronting Pharaoh. We all know the story of the ten plagues. And that The very last plague was the death angel was going to pass over and the firstborn of every family would die unless those who had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost. And and every family was to select the lamb and bring it into their home. And so they would do that. And so it was this Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover lamb, our faith in Christ. When we give our lives to Jesus, and he becomes our Passover lamb. The blood of Jesus is put over the door of our lives. So the death angel has no right to our home, no right to our lives. How many know the blood of Jesus covers us and protects us? The enemy has no right to our lives. And so it is a picture of dominion over sin. It is a picture of the penalty and penalty of the penalty of sin's judgment. Israel was to break from Egypt, the old life. We connect with Jesus as our Passover lamb. He is a picture of breaking of the old life. The Egypt of our life, coming out of a sin life. Jesus is our Passover. He's the set aside Passover lamb in our lives. I'm going to read to you Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And verse 11. It says, 
For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. That is the, what the Passover lamb has done for us. He has freed us, teaching us, denying ungodly and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for the Passover lamb that allows me to live righteously before him. He's our Passover. And then finally this morning, M. M for Messiah misunderstood. See, when Jesus came in to Jerusalem, as he was coming in, they were singing. You all know the song? They were singing, Hosanna, Hosanna to the King. Son of David, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were singing and quoting Psalms 118. It was the song of the Messiah. Hosanna means save us now. You are our Messiah. In other words, they were not recognizing him as a teacher. They weren't recognizing him as a prophet. They were recognizing him as the Messiah. The problem was they under. They understood the kind of Messiah. They misunderstood what kind of Messiah he would be. He would not be a Messiah that would come and dominate Rome and take over Rome. He was a Messiah that came to die. He came, he came to give salvation much greater than that which was political. Y'all hear that this morning? How many know Jesus died for much more than what's just political? He died for a world. His death this morning had to do, he came to set Israel free. Not, not to set Israel free from Rome, but that to set the world free and that the world now could know God. You know, we too can misunderstand the Messiah and his salvation. We too can misunderstand who he truly is in our life. See, some of us look at salvation as just a ticket to heaven. And that's all we want. We don't want any more than that. We just look at it as just a ticket to heaven. My ticket's punched. But how many know Jesus is more than just our salvation? He's more than our salvation. Matter of fact, Psalms 118, 19 says this. He opened, opened to me the gates of righteousness and I will go through them. In other words, Jesus was more than just our ticket to heaven. He came to open the door of righteousness in our life. To clothe us with righteousness. To put righteousness on us. To take away our sins, but also to give us righteousness. He closed the door of judgment, but he opened the door of righteousness in our lives. And many of us stop short of everything God has for us. We're to enter into righteousness. The devil 
the devil has convinced us that we're doomed to endless cycle of struggle and failure in our life. In other words, we're, we get saved and then we think that there's, there's, there's no more. There's no more than that. And we have this endless cycle of struggle that goes on in our life. Not understanding that he has also not just forgiven us and we also not only have salvation, but he also imputes righteousness to us that we may live victorious in our Christian life. God wants you to live victorious. God wants us to live victorious. He wants us to live in freedom and to have freedom in our lives. And we get in this cycle and we, we mess up and we tell God, I'm never going to do it again. And and, and we have this cycle, and we never learn that God has provided much more for us. That we can be victorious in this Christian life. Jesus coming in, he was a misunderstood Messiah. They thought he was coming to relieve the oppression of Rome off of them. And Jesus was coming to set them free, not only just from Rome, but from themselves. How many know we need to be set free from ourselves this morning? That he's provided righteousness and hope for us that we can live a victorious life. We tell ourselves, well, that's just the way I am. No, it's not. Jesus has opened the gates of righteousness for you and me to live in freedom so that we can go from fear to faith, from sin to righteousness, from emptiness to fulfillment. In other words, I call it the grace bundle, right? Everybody wants you to buy a bundle. You call and you try to get cable TV, and they're like, well, let us sell you our bundle. I don't want your bundle. I just want TV. You buy a phone, let us sell you our bundle, right? But I'm here to tell you that when Jesus died for us, we got more than just heaven. We did get a grace bundle. We can be clothed in righteousness this morning. And it can fulfill our heart's cry. When they said, save us now. Hosanna, Hosanna. Save us now. He entered into to save not just a few, but to save the whole world. Pastor Adam, if you come this morning. What is Palm Sunday this morning? It's the promises of God fulfilled. God fulfilled his promises and every prophetic word of the Old Testament was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We understand that he is king this morning. And he is not only king, but he's God with us. Hallelujah. Thank God for the promise of God with us this morning. Living in us. A is for the arrival of the king. There are two worlds that are contrasted this morning. There is a world that is becoming more and more hostile toward God and the things of God. The world has its own procession. The world has its own messiahs and kings. The world has its own system. But there's the parade of the Savior that's coming in to save the world. 
What procession are you joining this morning? What procession are you a part of this morning? There are two kingdoms that are battling in your spirit this morning. There's the kingdom of this world and there's the kingdom of heaven. What will you choose this morning? There's the promises fulfilled. There's the arrival of the king. There's the lamb of God set apart. Thank God for our Passover lamb. When he came into that city, he was letting the Jews know that he's the only Passover lamb that needed to be sacrificed. He's our Passover. The blood has been applied and passed over our sins. Because the blood has been applied, God passes over our sins. We're no longer under judgment. Thank you, Jesus. We no longer live under the judgment of sin. And I don't want to misunderstand him as a Messiah this morning. He came to open the gates of righteousness to my life. He's a Messiah that came to save me, to die for me. But he's also a Messiah that opens the door of righteousness in my life. Don't stop short this morning. Live out the fullness of everything that Jesus has provided for us. Break the cycle of your life. Break the cycle of a continual battle that you're always battling and you come and you get help for it and then you go back and you have to continue that battle again. As if you have to seek more forgiveness and more forgiveness. I'm here to tell you that once it's under the blood, it's under the blood. You have victory in it. Now walk in righteousness. There is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Go ahead and grab the grace bundle this morning. Let your fear turn to faith. Let your sin become righteousness. Let everything that is empty in your life be filled with him and who he is this morning. Stand with me if you would this morning. I want to do something that I don't normally do on Sunday mornings. Is we when we pray, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your heads this morning. I usually want you looking at me. I want to see your eyes. (laughs) But with your head bowed this morning, Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made a personal profession of Christ in your life. I want you to know this morning that Jesus came to give us life and to give that life abundantly. And I want to give you an opportunity to know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never made that decision before. Maybe you've never really, truly allowed Jesus to become Lord of your life. Not only that he died for us, but he's came to give us life so much more. You don't have to stop at salvation. You can go on into a victorious life in him. If you're here this morning, 
you don't know Christ or you want to rededicate your life to Jesus, you want to make a fresh start. Say, Pastor, I need a fresh start this morning. I just want you to slip your hand up where you are and just say, I want to know Jesus this morning. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.